Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. See everybody, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And kids, while you're turning, I've got a dad joke for you. What, what's a forklift? Food, usually. All right, Hebrews, Hebrews 11, we're continuing our sermon series through the book of Hebrews. Uh, remember, the writer is a pastor, and he's preaching to this church that is comprised of Jewish Christians. And this church is going through prolonged suffering, okay? And as a result, they're tempted to turn away from Christ, they're tempted to turn away from the church, and they're tempted, these are Jewish folks, and they're tempted to go back to the Old Testament sacrificial system. And it looks like some of them have already turned back. And so the, the writer, the pastor, can tell that others are thinking about that. And so he keeps on giving them this warning and encouragement to continue draw, nearing, draw near to Jesus. And he warns them, if you leave Christ, if you leave uh, the Son of God, then you're, you're leaving God himself. You're, and you're turning away toward destruction. Okay, So he's encouraging them to, despite their, their suffering, to, to persevere in the faith, to keep trusting and keep the faith. And at the end of Hebrews 10, last time I preached, we looked, we finished up Hebrews chapter 10. He gave both a warning and an encouragement. And here in chapter 11, he presents this extended teaching on faith. This is a very famous chapter, the, the hall of fame of faith, or the hall of faith. Okay. But what I want, what I'm trying to, to get us to remember is that the book of Hebrews, the context is faith in the midst of suffering. It's all about, this is a group that is suffering. Okay. And the last time I preached, I offered some thoughts on suffering, and I want to touch on those again. I'm going to go through them real quick. But I gave four points to finish up my sermon. I want to touch on them again. Number one is this. Prolonged suffering changes people, for better or for worse. Prolonged suffering changes people. And so our response to suffering is what matters. So I would just ask, when you're going through suffering, and also, by the way, we we don't want to, to... to think about our faith or be solid in our faith, we don't want to wait till we're in the midst of suffering. We want to be prepared before we get into it, right? So, so when you're going through it, though, I would just ask you to check yourself and see about your response to suffering. Pay attention to your response because suffering changes people. Number two is this. God permits suffering to create in us enduring faith. That's why he does this. So God has a purpose in suffering. Your suffering is not meaningless. So God has a purpose behind it, and I want us to really believe that. And God's purpose is to grow us in our faith. As I mentioned, Johnny Erickson Tata says that God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. He permits, namely, he permits suffering, which he hates, to accomplish what he loves, which is faith, enduring faith. So that's number two. Number three is this, we fight for faith, and I'll talk more about this in weeks to come, but faith is a fight. Like strengthening your faith is a fight. We can't be passive in it. So we fight for faith with an eternal perspective, okay? And I'm going to talk more about that at the end, about fighting for faith. We need tools. In other words, we need tools and reminders to help us in our fight for faith. 
That's number three. We fight for faith with an eternal perspective. And number four is this, that suffering leads to glory. And this is part of having an eternal perspective, but we've talked about 2 Corinthians 4.17, that, that passage that we memorize for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So there's a connection between suffering and glory. They're, they're linked together. So I, the picture I've used is suffering is like the root. It's like being down in the dirt, in the soil, in the darkness. And that's where we're, we're living when we're in suffering. But above that is the flower, is the glory. And that's from God's perspective, he sees the glory in our suffering. So God sees our suffering as being linked to glory. So, so glory is what suffering looks like from God's eternal perspective, okay? So those are my, some thoughts about suffering. And, I, I, and the reason, I, as I said, I keep stressing this is because this is the context of the book of Hebrews. And if you don't understand the context of suffering here in Hebrews, you're not going to understand the book, okay? So I would say this too. If you're going through suffering, I think Hebrews is a great book, just a book to live in, to stay in. All right, now in chapter 11, the writer, as I said, is going to give this extended description of faith. And he's going to encourage these Jewish Christians to live by faith. And he's going to do that by providing lots of examples of Old Testament saints who lived by faith. This chapter is often referred to, as I said, as the Hall of Faith or the Hall of Fame of Faith. I get that. I understand the phrase on that. But something I want to stress is this, it really isn't a hall of fame of faith. Uh, the hall of fame, like if you go to the baseball hall of fame, it's not just a hall of like good players. It's not even great players. These are the absolute elite, like basically unattainable for, for most of us, right? Well, that's not what the writer is telling us. He's not telling us that this type of faith is unattainable for us mere mortals. He's saying that these are just examples of faith. So this isn't really the hall of fame, like you're never going to be able to get there. The point is that these are people who lived in the Old Testament, they lived by faith, and they're examples for us. And we can live by faith too. This is, this is the point of him telling us this, okay? All right, today we're just going to cover the first few verses of chapter 11. And as I said, this is a wonderful description of faith. In fact, that's the title of my sermon, just a description of faith. I'm not too great at titles of sermons, so this is description of faith, all right? So let's read those verses, Hebrews 11, 1 to 3, and we'll kind of we'll uh, pick them apart a little bit. All right, Hebrews 11, 1 to 3. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, by faith... The people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. All right? I'm going to actually start with verse 2. And what I want you to see in this is that a relationship with God has always been by faith. Okay? Look at verse 2. It says, for, it, for by it, by faith, the people of old, people of Old Testament, received their commendation. So he's saying that believers in the Old Testament were commended, were commended by God for their faith. And what he's talking about is a relationship with God. He's saying a relationship with God has always been through faith, even in the Old Testament. So it's not that Old Testament believers had a relationship with God through works and now New Testament's by faith. No, he's saying it's always been by faith. There's always, God has always commended his people. This relationship's connection has always been through faith, by faith. 
And you actually see this, look at the end of Hebrews chapter 10, you'll see a connection at the end of 10, and we'll see it at the end of 11. Look at the Hebrews 10, verses 38 and 39. He's talking about faith. Verse 38, he says, My righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, God is speaking, my soul has no pleasure in him. Verse 39, but we are not, and then he's saying, talking about us, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. In other words, this is talking about salvation. We are, but we are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So again, in other words, salvation has always been by faith. A relationship with God has always been through faith. And that's what Hebrews 11.2 says, that the people of old, Old Testament believers received their commendation. They were, they were in a right relationship with God. They were in union with God. They were commended, not because of works, but because of their faith. So at the beginning of Hebrews 11, the writer says, Old Testament believers received their commendation from God by faith. Look down at the end of Hebrews chapter 11. So we've seen the connection with the end of 10. Look down at the very end of Hebrews 11, verse 39. Last couple of verses. Look at Hebrews 11.39. Notice the similarity. He's, he's providing these bookends. Verse 39, he said, all these, after all these examples that he gives, he said, and all these, though commended through their faith, right? Commended through their faith. He says they did not receive what, what was promised, but they were commended by their faith, or they were commended by God through their faith. So there is this connection between God commending his Old Testament people and us through faith. Okay? So at the beginning of the chapter and at the end of the chapter, the writer keeps stressing to us that Old Testament believers were commended by God, that is, they were in a right relationship with God through their faith. You actually see it, look at, we're not going to get into detail, but if you look at Hebrews eleven six. look at Hebrews 11, verse 6. He says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him, to please God. So without faith, it's impossible to please God. So another way of saying it is this, what pleases God? Faith. Faith is what pleases God. And without it, it's not pleasing to him. So faith, trusting in the Lord, that's what pleases him. So again, the writer is stressing throughout this chapter that pleasing God, being commended by him, being in a right relationship with him, all that has always been through faith. Okay. So throughout redemptive history, this has been the case. It's through faith. Faith, And that's what he is, he's stressing to, again, these Jewish Christians. That's why he's using these Old Testament examples. And so I'll, just at this point, I'll ask of everybody in here, do you have faith in God? Do you have faith in Jesus Christ? Do you, have, do you truly have a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus, by faith? Are you walking with him? Are you trusting in him? That's an examination question. If so, then know that your faith pleases the Lord. And you've been commended by him. The big word is justification, right? You've been justified. You've been declared righteous through your faith because of what Jesus has done. And this is the case even if your faith is weak, right? Even if we have mustard seed faith, if you're genuinely trusting in Jesus, then you're in a loving personal relationship with him. And it's all based on the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's what the writer to the Hebrews has been saying throughout the book. All right, so a relationship with God has always been through faith. That's what we see in verse 2. Let's go back to verse 1. And what we see, as I said, is the writer gives this wonderful description of faith. And the more I've thought about this just in the past weeks, the more just profound and wonderful I see this in this verse. 
And what I want to say too is I agree with most commentators that he's not giving us a detailed, full definition of faith. He, he's simply giving us a description of faith. There, and I'm going to take an aside thing to talk about. Since we're talking about faith, I want to touch on some things. The, the Protestant reformers came up with an excellent definition of faith, and it involves three essential components, okay? So it's knowledge, assent, and trust. Or if you want the big Latin words, it's notitia, ascensus, and fiducia, all right? Knowledge, assent, and trust. In other words, it's knowledge, knowledge about facts, about the faith, knowledge about Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's done, the person and work of Jesus. It's knowledge. But it's not just knowing it. You can know it and not believe it, right? It's knowing it and believing it. It's a scent, a sensus. It's believing the facts about the Christian faith. You have to actually believe these things. This is a scent. But the thing is, even knowing the content of the Christian faith and even believing it to be true is not saving faith. That's the third part. It's fiducia. It's, it's trust. As James says in James 2.19... Think about it, even Satan and demons believe the truth about who Jesus is. They believe the gospel, they believe it's true, and they hate it, right? So, so you can believe it to be true and hate it. Saving faith is believing it and rejoicing in it and personally trusting in Jesus for your salvation, trusting and rejo- rejoicing in his promises. So this is saving faith. And this third component of faith, trust, or fiducia, this is what the writer to the Hebrews is talking about in chapter 11, okay? And here's a summary, and I want to actually encourage you to write this little phrase down because I think it's so good. It's a summary of what I think the writer is saying about faith, and I got this from Pastor David Doran, and it's this. I love this, and I'm going to say it over and over again. It's faith is internal certainty of unseen realities, Okay? Faith is internal certainty of unseen realities. Look at Hebrews 11 verse 1, and we'll see this. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And I think this is a great translation. The writer's describing, as I said, the trust or the fiducia part of faith. And you can see that in the words assurance or conviction. So this is internal certainty. Inside us, we have this certainty, this confidence, this assurance about what God has said, about who he is. So verse 1 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. These are two parts in this verse 1, but they're parallel. It's a parallelism. Because, so first he says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. In this one, he's specifically talking about the future. Right, hoped for. Think about that phrase, hoped for. He's talking about the future. So we could say that faith is the assurance of things not yet. Things not yet. Things that have not yet come to pass. So faith is internal certainty of unseen realities. Well, one of the things that is unseen is the future. The future is an unseen reality. We can't see the future. So faith is the assurance or the certainty of things hoped for, things in the future. And the next part says faith is the conviction or certainty of things not seen. But again, one of the things that we can't see is the future. So again, these are, these are parallel statements. So faith in God, faith in Jesus, means that we have this internal certainty about the unseen future. 
So he's talking about things hoped for. Anytime we're talking about hope, we're talking about the future. We hope for things in the unseen future. So hope is all about the future, okay? And in fact, Paul says this in Romans 8, 24. He says, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees, right? We don't hope for things that we already see. We don't hope for things that we already have right in front of us. No, hope has to do with the future. And also, hope in the, in the Bible does not mean like wish or desire. Like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I hope this. That's not the sense of, of hope in the Bible. Hope means this like confident expectation that what God said is, is going to come to pass. It's very confident-based. So faith is this internal certainty of unseen realities. And as I said, verse 1 is a great description of what it means to have faith in God when it comes to the future. We can't see the future, right? It's an unseen reality. That's the way it was for Noah. We've been reading about Noah in in our reading. George has been doing that. And and we'll look at it actually next week. But if you look at Hebrews 11.7, look down at verse 7. It says, by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. Events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. So events as yet unseen. So God warned Noah about the future. These were, these were, this is the future. It's events as yet unseen. Noah constructed the ark even though he could not see the flood. Now, why did Noah build the ark? When, when the flood was not yet seen. Why did he do that? Because he had this internal certainty that what God said would come true. So we can't see the future, right? Because it's an unseen reality. I have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. And you know what? This is, this is for me, as I'm speaking to me right now. Our job also is not to figure out the future or figure out every single contingency about what may happen. Sometimes I will sit there in bed at night and think about every possibility of something's going to happen and try to account for everything. That is not our job. We, we can make plans. That's a good thing, right? But our job is not to predict the future or try to come up with every possible contingency because it's unseen. God knows it, right? But we don't. So I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or next month or next year or 20 years from now. I have no idea what's going to happen in the, in the future. But as I said, God does. God's in sovereign control of the future. He's in sovereign control of it all. He has a plan. And we believe that by faith. So we can't see the future, but we're confident that God's got it under control. This is what it means to walk by faith. And and something I would encourage you to do is go through Hebrews 11. You can do this with other passages too. Many many places, like our, our memory verse last month, And think about how many times you see this word, seen or unseen or visible. It's all over the place. Like like our passage last month, 2 Corinthians 4. What is seen is transient, right? What is seen is transient. What is unseen is eternal. So Paul says this. In fact, we have a slide. And I would ask the guys just to leave the slide up for a long time. I've got two verses up here. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Paul says the same thing. We just sang it. In fact, Chris, I hope we sing that song every week during the next month about by faith. Notice, notice what he's talking about, about sight, visible, seen. Paul says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. That's basically the same thing we're seeing here in Hebrews 11. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things 
not seen. So we walk by faith, not by sight. So when we're living by faith in God, that means, again, we have this assurance, this internal certainty about the future, the things hoped for, things not yet. When we're living by faith, we have this internal certainty that God is going to fulfill all his promises. He's going to do that. And he's going to do it in his time, but he's going to fulfill his promises. We have this certainty. And why do we have this certainty? Well, if you're a Christian, you should know that ultimately, and I want to touch on it again since we're talking about faith, I want us to understand this. If you're a Christian, you should understand that you have saving faith because God has given you this faith. It is a gift. Faith is a gift from God. The Holy Spirit, that means the Holy Spirit has come upon you and given life to your dead heart. And as a result, you have the ability to believe. So faith is a gift of God. That's what the Bible clearly teaches. In fact, I'd ask you to do this. Turn to Hebrews, I mean, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. It's going to be quick, but I do want to, since we're talking about faith, we've got to talk about how faith is a gift of God. Look at Ephesians 2, flip left a number of books. Because I want us to see if you have faith, you should thank God because he has decided to give you this faith. So you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Look at, look at uh, Ephesians 2.1. So he says, he says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you used to walk. You weren't sick, you were dead. You were spiritually dead. Following the course of this world, following the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the devil. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's what all of us were. That's what he says in verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That's the way we are born, like the rest of mankind. But what happened? Did we get smart? Did we give ourselves spiritual life? Look at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. God is the one who made us alive. He ra- in verse 6, he raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places. Go down to verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this faith is not your own doing. You didn't generate this on your own. What does he say? It is the gift of God. Faith is a gift of God. So that's what I want us to remember. Anytime we're thinking about faith, just keep it in the back of your mind. If you, the reason you have faith is not because you're smarter than your non-Christian friends. It's not because you're more righteous than your non-Christian friends. We have nothing to boast about. It's because God in eternity past set his love and affection on you and decided that you were going to be his child And when you were saved, he gave you spiritual life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then you had the ability to believe. You have faith. And your spiritual eyes were opened, right? You were able to see how glorious God is. God gave you life and faith. And you were able to see how glorious and good Jesus is, okay? So that's why we have faith, because it's a gift of God. And now, when we have this, we'll always have saving faith. But the thing is, our faith can be strengthened and it can be weakened, And that's what the writer is saying here in Hebrews 11. He's encouraging us to strengthen our faith, to grow in our faith, so that we'll be strong. Again, so we'll have this internal certainty of unseen realities. All right, so again, we walk by faith and not by sight. And when we're walking by faith, we have this internal certainty about 
the future, that God's going to fulfill his promises. We can't be certain. I mean, we, we can't see the future, but we can be certain of it. How? By faith. Okay? All right. A few verses earlier, go back to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, and look, actually Hebrews 10, just at the very end of Hebrews 10, verse 37. We can be certain, right? One of the things we can be certain about that's in the future is that Jesus is going to return one day, and he's going to raise his people from the dead. Back in Hebrews 10, 37, it says, yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. So Jesus is coming back. It's, now, it's going to be at God's time. But it's, it's not going to be delayed. We can be certain of that. And again, how can we have this assurance by faith? So Christian, you can be certain. You can be certain that Jesus is coming back. You can be certain that Jesus is preparing a special place just for you. Just for you. And you're going to love it. You can be certain of that. How? By faith. Now in this moment, again, we're talking about the future. Right now, we can't see Jesus' return because it's not yet here something hoped for. We can't see the place that Jesus is preparing for us because it's not here. It's hoped for. We can't see the new earth. We can't see the resurrection life to come. It's not here yet. It's something hoped for. But we can be certain that our God is going to do all that in his time. And we're certain of that by faith. So even in our day-to-day lives, the, the, the Hebrews is often focused on the eternal But even in our day-to-day lives, you can be certain that tomorrow Jesus will be with you. He will be with you. You can be certain that tomorrow our God will provide all your needs in Christ Jesus. You can be certain that he will provide new mercies to you every morning to get you through the day. Now, we can't see any of those things. We can't see that Jesus is going to be with us tomorrow because tomorrow is not here yet. We can't see that God will give us grace tomorrow morning. Because tomorrow's not here yet. But we can have this certainty that he's going to do all these things. How? By faith. By faith. And again, what it means is when we're living by faith and not by sight, we have again this internal certainty that all those things will happen. We have an internal certainty about unseen reality. So the future is part of the unseen. But there's lots of other stuff that's unseen too, right? What about the spiritual world? We can't see the spiritual world. We can't see angels and demons. And I've said this before, our culture wants to convince you that there is no spiritual world. Our, our culture wants to convince you that there are no angels and demons. Our, our culture does not want you thinking about the spiritual battle around us, about spiritual warfare. But the Bible talks about this all the time. And God is ruling over the spiritual world. But we can have this assurance, conviction, and certainty that in the midst of the spiritual battlefield God is in control and he's with us and we can have this certainty again not by my sight but by faith okay now God almost never reveals angels and demons to us but they're real they're real but we believe this by faith okay so it's this internal certainty of the unseen spiritual world also faith is an internal certainty of heaven heaven is unseen The writer to the Hebrews has been talking for chapter after chapter about how Jesus is our great high priest and he's in the throne room of God in heaven. And Christian, listen to this. We've seen this. Jesus is your high priest and he's interceding for you right now. 
Jesus is praying for you right now. He sees you. He cares for you right now. And he's interceding and praying for you individually now. And he can do that. He can do that for each one of us because Jesus is the infinite and eternal God. He's the infinite and eternal high priest praying for each one of us in the throne room of God in heaven. We can't see it, but it's true. And the writer to the Hebrews has been stressing this truth over and over again, right? So we can't see Jesus in his high priestly role. We can't see him in the throne room of heaven right now. I can't hear Jesus praying for me. You can't hear Jesus praying for you, but you can be certain of it. You can be certain of it. You can have this internal certainty of the reality of Jesus' priesthood. And he's praying for you right now. He's doing that. And how, you, how can you have that certainty? By faith. And this is the absolute truth. That's what the writer keeps saying. This is reality. Jesus, Think about this. Jesus' presence in the throne room of God in heaven, praying for you, that reality is more solid and more real than anything that we see. It's real. But the only way we can know that and have that certainty is by faith and not by sight. Okay? So faith is not only internal certainty in the unseen future, in the unseen spiritual world, in the unseen heaven. Faith is also internal certainty in the unseen past. And that's what the writer is going to tell us in verse 3. Okay? In other places, I, I didn't see Jesus die on the cross 2,000 years ago. I didn't see him being raised from the dead. I didn't see any of that. But I'm absolutely certain that Jesus died and rose again and ascended into heaven, just like we say in the Apostles' Creed. The reason I have that certainty and the reason we have that certainty is by faith. Because it's based on God's word. So I think that's the point of verse 3. Look at, look at Hebrews 11 verse 3. He says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen, this is this thing again about seeing, what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So at first glance, when you read this, it kind of seems out of place. He's talking about faith and he's talking about all these examples of faith. And he goes to, to talking about faith to talking about creation. So why does he do that? Well, because the moment of creation was unseen. None of us were there when God created the universe. But what he's saying is we understand, we believe, we have this certainty that the universe was created by the word of God. Again, it's, it's not by sight, it's by faith. But we're absolutely certain that everything in the universe, everything we see, was made out of the things, as he said, that are, was not made out of the things that are visible. The universe was created because God spoke it into existence. And by the way, this is just a kind of a side note, uh, there was a time, and it wasn't very long ago, that a lot of scientists believed that the universe existed for all eternity. Did you know that? That was a common belief, that the universe existed for all eternity. So a, a lot of scientists used to believe that, that the universe did not have a beginning. Well, nobody believes that anymore. It's accepted as fact that the universe had a beginning. The universe is not eternal. Matter is not eternal. So the universe had a beginning, which is exactly what the Bible has always said. So now everyone agrees that the universe had a beginning. The debate is how did the universe begin and what caused it? And so the bottom line is if you, and this is, I don't think this is in dispute, but if you, if you deny God, then you have to believe that the universe created itself. In other words, and I remember hearing Dale Tackett say this, if you deny that God made the universe, then you have to believe this, that there was nothing 
There was nothing, there was nothing, and then bam, there was everything. That's what you have to believe if you don't believe in God. So that means that there was nothing, and then at one point, there's all the matter and energy and law of physics and quantum mechanics and everything else. Went from nothing to everything. There's an old Latin saying, which is totally illogical. There's an old Latin saying that said, ex nihilo nihil fit. Ex nihilo nihil fit. It means out of nothing, nothing is produced. In other words, nothing comes from nothing. If you have nothing, then what can come from nothing? Nothing, right? Think about it this way. Think about it this way. If you have a big box, and in that big box, there is nothing. And when I say nothing, I mean nothing. There's no air. There's no particles. There's no subatomic particles. Think about it. There's, there's no gravity. There's no laws of quantum mechanics or quantum physics. There's nothing in that box. Nothing. Let's say you look at that box after a million years. What's going to be in that box? Nothing. What about a billion years? You go back and check on that box. What is going to be in that box? See, if you, again, ex nihilo nihil fit. Nothing can come from nothing. But if you deny God, then you have to believe that there was nothing in that box. And after a certain amount of time, then there was everything in the box. That's what you have to believe. In other words, you have to believe that the universe created itself. So to do that, you have to check your brain at the door. You see that? You cannot be a thinking person and believe this. I actually saw there's a book where it says how the universe was created out of nothing. But to him, all of nothing was everything. <laughs> it was just a, it was a quirky way of identifying because all the laws of physics and all the matter and energy were there. It was just a different form. Well, the question is, well, how did they get there, right? Nothing can't create everything, in other words. And you don't have to be a genius to figure that out. <laughs> nothing can't create everything. So here in Hebrews 11.3, the writer's saying, we understand, we believe that, that the universe was created by the word of God. So we could, we could say that God created the universe ex nihilo, out of nothing, or you could say that God created the universe ex deus, out of God, but whatever, God created the universe by his word. Everything came from God. And by the way, I have, this is me, I have no problem with the Big Bang. I have no problem with the Big Bang because I believe a big God said, bang, right? And created everything. And the reason the writer put, so again, why did the writer put this in verse 3, in the middle of this description about faith? I think what he wants us to understand is to think about the word of God and the power of the word of God. When God says something, you can be certain of it. That's faith. When God makes a promise, you can be certain that it will be fulfilled, guaranteed. And this is based on the character of God. God is a promise-keeping God. And the reason the, writer, the reason the writer talks about the universe being created by the word of God is he wants us to realize this. If God could just speak a word and all the matter and energy in the universe were created by God speaking this word and all the laws of quantum physics and quantum mechanics and everything was created with God speaking a word, even time was created, right? Everything was created when God spoke this word. If all that was created by God speaking a word, there's that much power in God's word, then why would we ever doubt his word? I think that's what he's saying. Why would we ever doubt his promises? 
If God made everything by his word, why would we doubt that he loves us when he says he loves us? If God's word has that much power, do you think that you can trust Jesus when he says, I will never leave you? Do you see that? If God's word has that much force to create the entire universe, all the billions of galaxies, by speaking it into existence, do you think you can trust him when he says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. You can trust that word. If God's word has that much power to create all the matter and energy in the universe with a word, do you think you can trust him when he says, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison? He wants us to trust him. That's why we can do that. We can do this by faith. And his word is powerful and his word is certain. So when God makes promises, you can be certain that he will keep them. As I said, he's a promise-keeping God and nothing will thwart his plan. Nothing is going to prevent him from fulfilling his promises. And so that's the purpose of these first few verses in Hebrews 11. Okay? So that's 11, that's 1 to 3. And I'm about done with the sermon. It may seem short, but I'm done with the sermon. But I want us to be thinking about how are we living in light of this? Are we living in light with a real certainty that what God says is true, especially in the midst of suffering, okay? And again, that's the context here. So that's all we're going to look at today. But I really want you to think about that internal certainty of unseen realities. But I want to end with this. I'm going to try to do this at the end of each sermon in Hebrews 11. Is try to help us fight the fight of faith. Because I can tell you this, almost every day I need encouragement to fight the fight of faith. I need to do that. And we need tools to do that. We need the word of God to do that. Okay? So I'm going to try to be very practical at the end of some of these sermons. So again, remember that the, the book of Hebrews is about faith in the midst of suffering. So if you're going through suffering, I want to leave you with this. Okay? I'm going to ask you to turn with, turn with me to John 15. Turn to John 15. I'm about done. So we're thinking about having faith, trusting in God's word in the midst of suffering. John 15, we're just going to look at two verses, verses 1 and 2. Famous passage. Jesus is talking here. John 15, 1 and 2. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And this is the part I want you to focus on. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So Jesus is saying, he's the vine, we're the branch. So he's a big, have you ever seen a big grape vine or muscadine, scuppernaw or something like that? They're big big old hard things, right? Well, through that is this life-giving sap. And then they have these branches out and it'll be grapes or scuppernaws or whatever. So he's saying that he's the vine and we're the branch coming off that. And that life-giving sap flows out of that. And so he says, every one of his people, branches, that are in union with him, that bears fruit, he says the father is a vine dresser. He says the father prunes the branches. Why? So it'll bear more fruit. Okay? What is pruning? Let's think about what pruning is. Pruning is cutting. Pruning is cutting. 
So if you're going through suffering, here's, here's the thought I want to leave you with, okay? I'm convinced that what Jesus is saying here and what the writer to the Hebrews is saying as well is when we go through suffering, God is pruning. He's cutting. Now, we can't see that, right? I can't see it. But how do we know? We believe it by faith. I'm certain of that. It's unseen, but God is doing it. We can't see that God is involved in our suffering. We can't see that God is doing his work of pruning. We don't have... We don't have physical eyes to see it, but we do have eyes of faith to see it. And so my question is, do we have faith to believe it? Do we have faith? Do we have this internal certainty and unseen reality of God working in our lives through suffering, through pruning? So when we're suffering, we need to be certain that God is pruning. He's cutting. And you know what? Cutting hurts. Getting cut hurts. Spiritual cutting hurts hurts. But what I'm convinced is happening is that God is using that suffering to prepare us for growth, to prepare us for a growth spurt. James talks about this in James 1. He says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds because you know that the testing of your faith, this is cutting, pruning, produces steadfastness. Well, steadfastness is spiritual fruit. Pruning produces massive fruit like steadfastness, perseverance, endurance, hope. So when we go through suffering, this is what I'm telling myself when I'm going through suffering. I want you to tell yourself that we need to preach truth to ourselves, right? Especially in the midst of suffering. When we go through suffering, God is pruning us. He's cutting on us spiritually. And he's cutting our souls. And it hurts. It hurts in the moment Suffering is absolutely horrible. It hurts. But what I want us to believe, what I want us to have internal certainty of, is in the midst of suffering, as painful as it is, I'm convinced God is pruning us to prepare us for a growth spurt. I don't know a bunch about, about uh, grape vines or anything like that. My, I have family that does muscadines, scuppernons. But you know what I do? Cut on a lot. It's crepe myrtles. I don't know if you have ever cut on a crepe myrtle. You ever seen a big crepe myrtle, the base of it? it says, the base of it is like that kind of light tan brown. It's hard as a rock. And you cut those branches back. And when you cut them back, it's, it's super hard. And you think there's no way growth is going to come out of this, right? That's pruning. There's no way any growth is going to come out of this. And then you go back and look later on, and you see this light green little tender thing coming out of that rock hard crepe myrtle. You know what I'm talking about? That light green little growth, very tender. But then you keep watching that, and now all of a sudden that branch is extending out. It's producing growth. I think that's what God is doing when we're going through suffering. He's cutting on us, and we say, there's no way that growth can come out of this rock-hard thing, or there's no way that growth can come out of this suffering. But I'm convinced that something really is great just around the corner when we're going through suffering. God is pruning us to prepare us for a growth spurt, to, to prepare us for something really wonderful. So that's my prayer, is that God will give you eyes to see that, and you will really embrace it by faith. This is how we grow in faith, by fixing our eyes spiritually on Christ and on the Lord, on his truth, by believing that even in the midst of suffering, he's working. He's truly working for our good. It hurts. <laughs> it's horrible in the midst of it but he's preparing us for some big growth in our lives, and I want us to see that.
Because I want our faith to be strong. I want us to have an internal certainty of unseen realities. To see our circumstances from an eternal perspective by faith. For us to draw near to our Savior by faith. He's the vine. You're the branch. So press into him. Draw near to him. By faith, allow his life-giving sap of love and power to flow through you by faith, especially in the midst of suffering. So trust that God's at work. And allow him, just allow him. Would you allow him to convince you that he's at work? Could, could you be convinced that he really is at work, even in suffering? Allow him, near, allow him to draw you near to him, even in suffering. So draw near to him. Allow his, his word to grow in you, to grow in your conviction of things not seen. Draw near to Christ and allow him to grow you in your internal certainty of unseen realities. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we love you and praise you. Uh, thank you for the truth of your word. God, your word is awesome. It's just glorious. And I pray that, I pray for my friends who are suffering, Lord. I know they're being cut on. I'm being cut on. But I pray that like that crepe myrtle and we look at it and it's being cut, we think there's no way growth can come for that. And yet there's a big growth spurt coming. There's something really great coming around the corner. And I pray that we would have faith to believe that. I've, I've, God, Father, you are the vine dresser. You cut, you prune for your glory. Help us to have faith. Internal certainty of unseen reality that you're at work and you love us. If nothing else, Lord, that you love us you're there with us. Jesus, you walk with us through our suffering. You went through it. You are a sympathetic high priest. You know what it's like. If nothing else, Lord, you know what it's like to suffer. And you're with us and you care. And there's a reason for it. So grow us in our faith, Lord. I pray for my friends here. I pray for my friends. Thank you for my friends, my brothers and sisters, my family right here. And I pray for them. I thank you that you love them. I thank you that they love me and that I love them. And we're a family and we care about each other. So work in us, Lord. We love you. We give you the glory. And one day, Jesus, you're going to return and it's going to be awesome. You're going to fix all this mess and it's going to be great. Help us to have that internal certainty of that unseen reality for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.